Last time we were, we didn't quite finish Galatians chapter one. I did a lot of introductory stuff and we talked about that, but I, I um, we're kind of at the, at the juicy part of, toward the end of chapter one. And I think that we're, we're just going to get uh, to, to jump right into it um, here at that, at that section. So Paul is talking about just having been converted. This amazing thing happens on the road to Damascus, a story which is told uh, four times in the Bible, which is unusual for any single Bible story. Um, even Jesus walking on the water is only told three times. But the story of Paul's conversion is told, 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 and then alluded to um, here in Galatians. But Paul tells it himself. Um, first, Luke tells it in Acts, uh, what would it be about Acts 9? And then it shows up again two more times in Acts when Paul is on trial. Because every time Paul is on trial, he has this habit of saying, let me talk about Jesus. You know, it doesn't matter what he's on trial for or what the, what, what, what the, uh, what the penalty is about to be. Paul always uses it as a pulpit. It's a really cool thing. I've, I, I even thought about uh, 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 calling a book on the book of Acts, Strange Pulpits. Because that's kind of what the whole book is, is just really strange pulpits. In particular, the sinking ship, one of my favorite pulpits. Like, really? This is the moment? And yeah, the ship's going down. It's being battered by the surf on the coast of Malta. And uh, they're just being torn to ribbons. And Paul says, let me tell you about Jesus. And, uh, hmm. and what he told me last night, we're all going to survive. So if you can swim, get out. If you can't swim, grab a piece of lumber. We're all going to make it. And uh, this is on, the, on, the, on these banks where countless sailors had been cut to ribbons before by the shoals. Um, but really a remarkable save. Uh, do you know where that happened? So Africa. Um, do you know where Malta is? Yeah, oh, where Malta yeah. is. Yeah. So the Mediterranean Sea is in two halves, right? And uh, half the, 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 the eastern half of the Mediterranean is this big swoopy thing of Africa, and then it kind of comes like, then you got this, and you got kind of Greece, and then the boot of Italy, right? And so forth. And Malta is kind of in here. No. I'm sorry. This is not exactly drawn well. Malta is here. Okay? So Paul knows that this storm that they, oh, and, and, and here you've got, uh, the the, 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 the the smile of Crete and so forth, anyway, all, all of this. Um, Paul knows that if they keep going, they're going to hit the Tunisian coast. And there's this is just um, reef after reef after reef of jutting rock and shoal and sand dune and, and uh, razor-sharp rocks. And that's what they're heading for. And instead, they hit Malta, the one piece of land that they could be saved at. So rather than hit this, they're not all that far away, actually, from North Africa. And they think that they're going to die here, but they don't. They hit Malta, the little island in the Mediterranean, and they, and they survive. Um, so it, it, that, that's a really exciting part of the book of Acts. Um, but long before then, as Paul is on the road to Damascus, he is converted by a vision of Christ himself. Um, <clears throat> And so after that, uh, he goes to Damascus. That's the incident where he has to be let out the back door of Damascus in a basket. 
You remember the feeding of the 5,000? They picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Those baskets, um, the Greek word could be translated. Remember, we're all old enough to remember fanny packs. Remember those? That's what those were. They were the, the, the disciples kept these little wicker baskets on their belts with their lunch in it. That's, it was like, like a fanny pack. Um, ministry was a lot more fun in the 90s when everybody knew what that was all the time, but now I have to explain. Um, the word in the feeding of the 4,000, which in the Gospels is a chapter later, and it's a very similar miracle, except the basket in which they picked up the leftovers, they pick up, instead of 12 baskets of leftovers, they pick up only seven baskets of leftovers. Except the baskets of leftovers in the feeding of the 4,000 are the size of my mother's four-foot-tall wicker clothes hamper. That's the size basket we're talking about for the feeding of the 4,000. So rather than 12 little representative baskets of fish and loaves, are these seven giant hampers full of fish and loaves because the people had farther to go and so Christ gives them lots of leftovers for the trip home. Um, that same word for that kind of basket, the big clothes hampery basket, that's the basket Paul gets let out of the back door of Damascus in, is one of those things. So not a fanny pack, but a giant, giant wicker clothes hampery kind of a thing. Okay, so Paul is leaves Damascus and goes home to uh, Syria or Cilicia. That's where he's actually from, and he goes there for a while. But first, out the back door of Damascus, we have this verse. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So Paul goes, this is uh, not the world's greatest map, but I found it, and it's free. Um, so Damascus is up there in the, in, the, in, the, in the upper middle. It says number two there. And, uh, and I'll just draw this little circle here. So just out the back door of Damascus to the east is the Arabian Desert. The Arabian Desert is really vast. And this is the northern part of the Arabian Desert. So when Paul says he left Damascus for Arabia, I don't think he's talking about going hundreds or thousands of miles away. But he's talking about going out the back door of the city to where the sand starts. He's going to go a couple of dunes over. And he spends three years out there in the Arabian desert. Well, what does he do for three years? Well, he says here, after the three years, he goes to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stays for two weeks. Well, what was he doing for three years? He was learning the gospel from Christ. So if you think about that prerequisite for an apostle, led around by Jesus for three years. Well, the 12 get it, but Paul gets it too. So whatever portion of three years it was, although the apostles with Jesus did, kind of got a portion of three years also. You know, when did, when did Jesus call the 12? You know, it was kind of during the second year of ministry. They had been around, they had kind of heard him, but he doesn't call them really until the second year. That's the thing about the Gospels is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story kind of beginning with year two. John tells us what happened during year one when Jesus is kind of stomping around without having called anybody yet. You've got the wedding at Cana and the healing of the centurion's servant and other things. And he sometimes has disciples with him, but not apostles yet. So Paul also gets this time 
evidently privately with Christ in visions maybe, or in person, whatever it is, out in the desert. And Christ preserves his life out there and teaches him and instructs him. And then he goes to Jerusalem now for 15 days and he sees no other apostles, only James the Lord's brother. So this would be uh, not one of the apostles named James. One of them was already dead. Um, and the other one, James the Less, hardly comes into the story any longer, so he's gone now. But James the Greater, the, the apostle, is the brother of John, the apostle John. Those two are called the Sons of Thunder, um, or the Boanerges, and it seems that James, that James is already probably dead. This is the other James, who is Jesus' actual brother. So you get a list in uh, Mark uh, 4, I think around verse 7 or something like that. And it's in Matthew also of the list of Jesus' brothers. And they are, um, I'll call them Joseph Jr., James, Jude, and, uh, and Simon. Common names. And then at least two sisters. So you get an impression this is a family of at least seven, eight, eight kids. You know, so it's a kind of a big family. Some sisters and, and all the, and these five brothers. And, um, and uh, um, the, the two brothers, James and Jude, are the authors of New Testament letters. So that's the James and that's the Jude who wrote James and Jude. Um, it's, I, I, it's kind of an interesting look. In fact, I'm going to teach it on Sunday morning in a couple months. But um, the book of Jude, uh, Jude even begins his letter basically angry, saying, you know, I kind of wanted to write Romans also, but you dummies, I had to write this instead. Because he, he says, I wanted to present the whole gospel to you, but you're falling away from the gospel, so I have to... What he did was he took a, a, a part of second, second Peter chapter 2, and he changed all of the tenses of the verbs from will to are. So false prophets will come, false prophets are coming or have come. So he kind of kind of point for point works his way through Second Peter chapter two, and that's Jude. Is I I I think the boat was sailing, or something. You know, it it, it if you think about the way mail service went in their in their time, he had to dash something off quickly to people who were in trouble. By the way, guess who they were? The Galatians. Because um, Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. Later on. Paul is gone, and someone has to write to the Galatians again. Well, where's Paul? Well, we'll talk about that, but Peter has to do it because Paul was gone. So Peter has to write to the Galatians. That's first Peter. And then Peter comes along and says, you know what? I got to write again, and that's we call that second Peter. And then Jude has to copy part of second Peter and say, you guys, this is really happening, and that's, I would call it fourth Galatians, but in the Bible we call it Jude. So you've got all these letters to the Galatians because they, they've got this problem of falling away from the true gospel. Well, Paul goes, he sees James for a couple of weeks and says hi and so forth and, says, and, saw, and sees Peter and so forth. Then he says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So north of, of, uh, of Jerusalem is 
than Galilee, and north of that is Damascus, and north of that is a place called Antioch. Here it is on this map. And between Antioch and Seleucia, there were a, there, uh, quite a few Christian congregations. A lot of Christians are there in Antioch. We're told about that Antioch, that that's the first place where Christians were called Christians. That, that's the place up north. There was this big, exploding Christian group up there. And Paul is kind of working with them, but he goes over to Cilicia and to Tarsus. Why? Because that's where he grew up. And he wants to go home, and he does go home for a while, really to just be away from, because all the Christians, it seems like every time Paul would go somewhere, they would say, aren't you the guy who is persecuting all of us? He's not going to make a lot of headway with them. So he kind of is going from play, and finally he realizes, I just got to go away for a while. So he goes home. And I think to talk to his family and whatever else. And is this where something happens also? Where we're told later in 2 Corinthians that he has a thorn in the flesh? Is, is, does something serious happen to Paul there? Or is it later during his mission trips? Well, I'm not sure about that. We kind of talk about that last time? A little bit? I'll just leave that. So, um, way back when... Uh, we're, we're told, go to the, uh, the Lord says to um, Cornelius, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, different Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So this place, Tarsus, is in Cilicia. Um, when you're, if, the next time you're walking from northern Israel into Asia Minor, so next time you're going to take that walking tour, this is the only way in because it's all mountains. The center of Asia Minor and the whole eastern side is mountains. It's terribly rugged, a dangerous place to go. And there's only one decent mountain pass, and that's the Silesian Gates, a nice, beautiful, grassy, kind of slopey kind of an area. And Tarsus is this city at the end of the Silesian Gates. That's how you get from Syria, basically, northern Israel, into Asia Minor. Um, even today, the main road goes through there. It's just how you, it's just how you do it. Um, so, they only heard a report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So Paul is thrilled. Um, people are hearing about me. They're beginning to accept me, although it's kind of a slow process. We're going to find out that it actually took years for him to be accepted by anybody. And I guess that would make sense to me. You know, if, you're, if your major um, uh, opponent suddenly became your, you know, a, a pastor in your group. I'm trying to think of who an opponent would be to Christianity um, today. But, you know, if, if, uh, if Bin Laden had suddenly become a Lutheran missionary, we might say, are you sure? You know, something like that. Um, I thought you might like to see a little bit of a timeline of what's going on here. So I made one. So uh, we think that Jesus ascended into heaven around the year 30. Are you okay with that? With me putting that as the day of Jesus, uh, the year of Jesus' ascension? Jesus is 33 when his ministry starts. But his ministry, you under, I, I had to go through this in catechism this morning. You understand that AD is, first of all, a Latin abbreviation Anybody know what it stands for? Anno Domini. Excellent. Anno Domini 
means the year of our Lord, so the year that he was born, as opposed to what every school child thinks, which is that A.D. means after death, death, which is nonsense, right? If if it did, then B.C. before Christ and A.D. would leave out the years of Christ's life from the calendar. That'd be weird. You know, but but A.D. is the original calendar that um, Pope Gregory's college roommate, Little Dennis, came up with. In well, that's what I call him to remember their relationship. They had both been monks together at one time, so I call him his college roommate. So um, prior to the um, the ministry of, I'll call him Gregory the Third. I think that's it might be Gregory the Sixth. I forget which one is which. But around in the year, in the in the three hundreds, um, Gregory the Third, I think, was sick and tired of the way that they told dates, because prior to that, the only way you could say a year was going back to whichever Roman emperor it was, or Persian emperor, or Greek emperor, and saying it was the fifteenth year of his reign, right before that one Sunday, you know, or whatever. And that's that was that was everyone's calendar in the world except one group, and they were all dead now. But the Assyrians had decided to give every single year a name. Now, every year got a name. So if you can imagine, if somebody was in the news one year, great general, great athlete, whatever it was, they got, they, they got the year named after them following that at the end of that year, the, the year was named after them. So can you imagine if we had a, a, a year of Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, which would be 2002 or whatever, um, you know, things like that. So that, that's called the Assyrian eponym calendar. It's, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years long, all different names. So it's a really cool way, though, of checking your dates because the Assyrian eponym calendar also included, like, wars and things and contacts of the Assyrian Empire with other people, including Israel. So we have a way of figuring out calendar dates in there. Um, but apart from that, and now the Assyrians were all dead, and nobody knew about it anymore, um, is how do you tell what year it is? Well, Gregory had the idea, and he, so he, he writes to his old, his old friend Dionysius. Um, uh, Dionysius Exiguus, little Dennis. And he says, can you come up with a way of dating things maybe from the birth of Jesus? And so he takes on this task. This is before there's an internet, before there's a Wikipedia, before there's even an encyclopedia, when there's nothing but records of kings. And he goes into the, some of the best libraries in Europe. This is after the, the big library at Alexandria, Egypt, has burned. So they, they're doing their best, but, you know, we, we're, we're doing our best. And he comes up with a calendar based on the life of Christ. However, he's off by about four years. We know that he's off by about four years because he's got Herod the Great dying before Christ's birth. And Herod the Great is involved in the birth of Christ because he's the one who gives the command to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. And he actually speaks to the wise men when they come to visit Jesus and stuff. And according to the calendar, which by now, oops, everybody in the world accepted, the birth of Jesus should have happened about between four and six years before the birth of Jesus. So we just deal with that and don't worry. We kind of shrug. And then about 150 years ago, maybe 200 years ago now, 
some people began to do more and more research into what happened before the time of Christ. And they said, we don't have a calendar for that. And the easiest thing was just to, instead of extending the calendar backward to like the year of Abraham or the year of Noah or something, they said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Let's just, let's just go to minus one before Christ and just call that B.C. before Christ. So B.C. is a brand new calendar, actually. A.D. is the old calendar, ironically. B.C. is the new calendar. Is that enough on the calendar? I'm kind of passionate about that, but I can tell you more. But Don't they call it the common era now? Like yes. Terrible, wicked unbelievers. They call it the C.E., the common era, if they want to and so forth and whatever. And it, it's maddening to our, to our pastors because you send an article into a professional journal and they change all of your A.D.s and B.C.s and they often get them wrong. And so it makes your article look like gibberish because you didn't write that. Somebody changed that and now they've got the wrong date in there. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's really really unnerving but but just be aware that that there's some there's an ulterior motive behind switching from ad is because there are some people in the world who want to deny christ and ignore him yeah so it really does it does yeah because falsehoods don't make enemies yeah yeah, I mean, when, when I hear people talking about the flat earth and the, that the moon landing was rigged and stuff like that, I am, I, I'm, I'm only amused. You know, I don't get mad about that. That doesn't make enemies, uh, uh, an enemy out of me. Um, so, around then, yeah, yeah. The one thing that we know for certain is because according to the old calendar, we are given a couple of important dates. We say one in, in every creed. When was Christ crucified? We always say it according to the old calendar. Under Pontius Pilate. Pilate was only governor of Israel for 10 years, from 26 to 36, by our calendar. And so those, those, that's the ballpark for Christ's crucifixion. Do all of our attempts at the dating Jesus fall within that governorship of Pilate? Yes, they do. By the way, later in the book of Acts, Pilate was succeeded by other men. I, I forget if Galbus was one, but then the, after that, then there's a guy named Felix and then a guy who was Matt Dillon's sidekick, Festus. Yeah. And the, the, the transfer from Felix to Festus is a benchmark date because the Apostle Paul is in jail that year in the book of Acts. So it, that, that's a benchmark here for what I'm about to show you because we know when that happened. It can't have been any other moment than the transfer from Felix to Festus. So Jesus ascends into heaven in 30. In 33, approximately, Paul is now persecuting Christians. I think that Paul is about the same age as the Apostle John or about 10 years younger than Jesus. You know, Jesus is say 33 when he ascends, and about that time, Paul himself is maybe 23, and John too, maybe. Maybe Paul is a little bit older or whatever, but, you know, in there somewhere. It also explains why Paul was not yet a full-blown Pharisee. He would have been a Pharisaic rabbi at 30. That hadn't happened yet. Um, 
Okay. Uh, Paul's conversion, maybe a year and a half or so into his passionate persecution of Christians, happens around the year 35. That's my, that's my, is this corresponding to your, to, is it? Okay. All right. That's, that you're making me nervous there, John, but leave it out because I want to be, I want to, no, I want to, I want to be, I, yeah. That means Paul's in Arabia for, for about three years. And by three years, the year we're in, the next year, the year after. So in America, we might have said two years and a bit, but Paul would say three. It's like the days in the grave. Good Friday is the first day in the grave, even though it was only like 15 minutes, according to their clock, you know, before the sun went down. So that's a whole day in the grave and then all day Saturday and then until before sunrise on Sunday. So you've got 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, maybe 30 hours in the tomb. But the Bible calls it three days because that's the way they count time. Well, Paul in Arabia, more than two years. Then there's this really quick trip to Jerusalem, about two weeks, 15 days, right? Just to, see, to say hi to Peter and to meet James. By the way, why James? James was pastor of the big Christian group in Jerusalem now. James has become pastor in Jerusalem. Later, the Jews murdered James by throwing him off of the pinnacle of the temple. And when he hit the ground, he wasn't quite dead yet, which is almost a line from a Monty Python movie. And so they took the dying James and threw rocks at him until he did die, stoned to death. And pinnacle of the temple... The wall of the temple is exactly the same height all the way around. So where's the pinnacle? Probably because the ground below was not the same height. So it's not the east, the west side of the temple where the ground is just one story down, but probably the east side of the temple where it's two, two and a half, three stories. And in fact, it's probably the southeast corner where it's even more than that. So that's probably the corner and probably the same place where the devil took Jesus to tempt him that one time at that one place in the temple, probably with the, with the highest, you know, jump off if you want to. But that's where later on this James, the brother of Jesus, was, was killed. So brief trip to Jerusalem for 15 days. That ends chapter 1, and I'm just going to move into chapter 2 and continue the chronology, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Right, that would be. So, is it giving credit to Jesus being his teacher? Yes, yes. right, okay. right. Yeah, because because fifteen days wouldn't be enough to learn all of Christian doctrine from anybody. Right. Not even Paul, right. in fact, could teach all of Christian doctrine because we do have uh, a three-week time period where Paul was with one group. And he didn't get all of doctrine taught to them. That's the Thessalonians. Paul has to write to the Thessalonians to finish their education because he, 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 even in three weeks, he couldn't cram it all in. You know, of, of intensive, probably a couple hours a day, every single day. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why when we do, when we do often adult Bible studies, they're between like... 12 and 20 lessons it, it, it's meant to kind of reflect that like how how quickly can you do most of christian doctrine you know to somebody who maybe has been a member of another church somewhere and you don't want to overburden them 
you know, by going over everything. We don't always have to, you know, to, to, to study the fourth commandment with everybody who comes through and so forth. But to cover the basics, there are some things you have to talk about, and that's kind of where we get that number from. Yeah, I'm trying very to think, good. Like, what would be the discrediting? You know, they make a point of that, you know, that it wants to be from Christ. The message right. If it had been, you know, just a passing down from mm -hmm. apostles, That, and that is, where does your apostleship come from? Yeah. Oh, no, I'd be an apostle then of Peter right. or an apostle of James. And Paul says, no, I'm an apostle of Christ. That's where my apostleship comes from. So Paul says, I've been called by Christ. That's the point I want to make because the Galatians were questioning that. That's one of the two big deals about this letter is they were questioning his apostleship and they were on the verge of giving up the gospel. And so Paul's got to deal with them in that order. Yeah. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.